0: Hey, Theatre People, Patrick here. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to quickly tell you about another podcast from within the Theatre People family. For the last several months, producer Mike and his co-host Elise Castle have been hard at work on their podcast, We Couldn't Help But Wonder, which is a journey through sex in the city. Mike has watched the series a million times. Elise is watching it for the first time. Each episode of the podcast is the two of them chatting about the episode they just watched. They go in order, starting with the pilot. We Couldn't Help But Wonder is fun and hilarious and sassy, and you should definitely check it out. You can find We Couldn't Help But Wonder anywhere you get your podcasts, and you can stream their episodes on their website, We Couldn't Help But com. Okay, now to the show.
1: This
0: is why we tell the story. Welcome to the Theater People Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. Today, we are living the dream, theater people, as we welcome the legendary Tony winner, Leia Salonga, to the podcast. Leia obviously needs no introduction, but here are some highlights. In 1989, she was selected to star in the role of Kim in Miss Saigon, first in London, then on Broadway, where, of course, she won the Tony Award for the role. She would go on to star in Les Mis, Flower Drum Song, and Allegiance, as well as being the singing voice of Jasmine in Aladdin and Mulan in Mulan. In the Philippines, where she is a megastar, she's the co-host of The Voice. Her credits go on and on and on. And now she's back on Broadway as Urzuli, the goddess of love, in Michael Arden's utterly magical production of Once on This Island. It was one of the high honors of my career to get to meet and chat with her. Here's our conversation. <laughs> Lea Slaga! Hi! It's so nice to meet you! How <laughs> Likewise. are you?
1: I'm... I'm- Good. Yeah? Yeah.
0: I have a funny story to tell you. So oh, sure. So when I was in college, at Emerson College in like 1998, I was, like everybody, completely obsessed with Miss Saigon, the whole thing. You were my favorite, 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 favorite actress. And you came to our school to give a talk. And you came to our student union. And I was standing, I was like somehow the greeter, like holding the door. And I, you walked, you got out of your car and you walked up and you walked past me and I went, I'm trying not to freak out. And you went... <laughs> You're gonna be okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and clearly you are. I
0: know, and here we are. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. So in getting ready for this, I rewatched your I I have to call it iconic sort of like the YouTube video of the video of you auditioning for Miss Saigon. Right. That
1: was actually my first callback. It's was yeah. how old were you? I was seventeen. Wow. You are so-
0: So it's, it's crazy to think so about now. so beautiful to watch. And it's like, I was saying to Mike before we started that you, just the, the way that you, it seemed to all just make so much sense to you and you were like, you seemed so calm. Were you any sort of like musical prodigy? Did you get, like, was that, did it just come so easily to you?
1: Um, I had already been very much exposed to the world of musical theater by that time because I mean, I had been... My, the first show I ever did. I was only seven years old. It was The King and I, and I was the kid with a big speech at the end of the show. Uh-huh, so that uh-huh. was me. And then I had done Annie. At um, I auditioned at eight. I started the run at nine. So I was I was somewhat very much exposed. This was not like my first rodeo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which was great. It mm-hmm. was like yes, you are predestined to do these yes. things. So I, I you know, I think it so whatever singing talent I had was making itself known quite early in my mm-hmm. life, which was great because then, by the time I got to to do Miss Saigon as difficult and as challenging as that would be for anybody, it kind of lessened the blow, I guess, um yeah. because I had already been working for ten years by the time. I auditioned for Cameron McIntosh and for Nicholas Heitner um, and, of course, Boogliel and Schoenberg. So I guess I was calm because, well, number one, I looked calm because that was already my first callback. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on step two at this point. But on, at my first audition, it I was just a nervous wreck. Mm-hmm. So when it came time for me to learn stuff from the show, it was like, oh, I don't have to memorize anything for this. I can just learn yes. the music. And Claude Michel, talking about it now, he's like, how is this l- girl able to predict which way my music is going to go? It's like, is my music just that predictable? And I'm like, no. <laughs> it's and, and it wasn't that it was predictable, but I could just – I could see the pattern in it. Yeah. So I think it was calm because I'm like, I know where you're going. Mm-hmm. And – because I know where you're going, whatever you end up throwing at me is going to feel like it makes a lot of sense.
0: It's funny too when you see the looks on the, the faces of the people on the creative team, they're just, all of their faces just come alive and they're like, oh my goodness. Like they can't believe that you're doing it either. That's amazing. <laughs> I know it's weird about to watch
1: it now because I don't remember those expressions at the time it was happening. Yeah. I mean, I looked at them and I, I thought, oh, okay, I guess they liked it. Yeah. But when I looked at the film, I'm like, Sweet Lord Almighty, they really liked it, and and I guess it's not one of those things you think about when you're at the audition because you're trying to stay focused and you're trying to stay in the moment and, and trying to learn as much as you can. And I had to learn. It was a three hour session, I think, two or three hours. Wow. And I remember learning five, four. Wait, I learned Sun and Moon. I learned I Give My Life for You. I learned Moving My Mind. Oh yeah, maybe three, maybe four. I don't remember, but there were. I felt like there was a whole lot being thrown at me. Wow! And this is music that nobody outside of this room, save for everybody else who was auditioning for this part, had ever heard. So it's not like I could. It's not like with a revival right. where the music is you know practically ubiquitous and every musical theater maniac's you know CD collection. Right, 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 right. But this is like brand new stuff.
0: The- we're getting we're getting to Once on the Silent in one second. But do you look back on that now and, and like sort of see the trajectory of your career and think like yes, it all went exactly the way that it was supposed to?
1: I look at it and go, Wow. Yeah. Um I I try not to make plans. Norm Lewis, who is now playing Agwe. Oh uh, um, hamana, was... hamana, hamana, hamana. <laughs> Oh, God, yes. I mean, I have a crush on his vocal cords. I know.
0: Who doesn't? I know.
1: It's like it's male, female, straight, gay. Doesn't matter. (laughs) You will have a crush on his cords. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I I loved his Javert. Yes. And I got to experience that eight times a week because we got to do it together for, like, three months. Because he was on his way out and I was coming in um, into Les Mis and the first revival. Which pretty much is what the show always was and I'm always going to be married to that version of the show and faithfully so Um but yeah so I get to I got to experience that Javert yeah. it, but here at Aguay it's a whole different application of those chords and you will crush on those chords so hard Yeah, because he's He's it's it. He's pliable. He's all this. But never mind about all that, because we're talking about me. But no, he he said something which made me laugh so hard. And I think we were we were doing a concert maybe a couple of years ago, and he's like, y- "You, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans." He says, <laughs> and and then I'm like. That sounds like my life, because I, I had made all of these plans prior to the auditions for Miss Saigon, and I was I was in pre med. I was going to be a doctor. I had reserved oh, wow. so much of my life to to do this. To I made my plans, and then God's like, ha, 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 no, this is not what you're going to be doing with your life. So I look back on my career and the trajectory that it's taken, and I'm like, God must have laughed at the start of this. <laughs> And God is continuing to laugh at me now. And it's smile my, on you at and, the same and, time. And totally smiling on me. He's like, you foolish girl.
0: <laughs> I did not make you to be a doctor. No. <laughs> oh, I am so glad that you're here. Um, Once on this island. Okay. Speaking of once on this island. Yes. Yes. The- great michael arden so i wasn't super exposed to michael arden before the deaf west production of spring awakening yeah and, and that's that kind
1: of where he broke out as yeah. a director yeah did you see it I, I saw spring i did see spring awakening yeah and i think he had did he do the deaf west big river I, he did he, he started did. In that yep. yeah so it it doesn't seem too far of a leap for him to have started in that one to star in that one and then to direct another one um i remember it being oh, my God, this is the young man that played younger brother in this concert when I played mother in a ragtime concert at um, Avery Fisher Hall, now the David Geffen Hall. Um, And I I remembered him just being young and and fresh and extremely talented and handsome and charming and (laughs) so nice. And that hadn't changed very much when we actually got to work together. But because we were friends and had been colleagues on the same side of the boards um before meeting in, in this way it was it was a very easy relationship I See, mean there that's was so there was there was so there was a lot of respect obviously there is so much because I have so much respect for him as an actor as well as a director as I you know learned more about his you know directing style I and mean, he gave all of the actors so much freedom to discover and to yeah. find things out for ourselves while trying to still, like, nah, nah, these are your fences and you have to stay in between <laughs> the, you know, and this is the vision. and But it was never, he's not dictatorial in the way that a lot of directors have these reputations for being these, um, um, I'm trying to find the word, these guys who are just my way or the highway yeah. types of people. He's not. He, I think he wants to see which way you're going. And then if you're kind of going, Overboard a certain way, then he'll pull you back. If you're not doing enough, he'll push you. He'll keep pushing you, and it's exciting to work with him. And I never felt frustrated. I felt extremely free because I got to play with all these other people that were, you know. But everybody, of course, has different styles of taking direction. And some people like to be told exactly what to do, exactly which spot to stand on. But there are also actors that want to experiment, who want to discover, who want to find things out. I'm kind of in the middle of that. Yeah? Yeah. I like being told what to do, but I also like having some freedom to to figure stuff out for myself.
0: I was wondering if Michael, as a new director, I was, I'm was. i glad to hear that you guys knew each other beforehand. Oh, because yeah. I was wondering what it would be like for a young, sort of up-and-coming d- director to direct the great Leah Salonga. Were you ever nervous walking into that room that you might not get what you needed because you're such a big star and you were walking into a a production done by somebody who is known to be brilliant, but is young and is sort of still learning his way.
1: Well, um, that was kind of the same boat that everybody was in when Nicholas Heitner was directing um, Miss Saigon. Miss Saigon was his first musical, like, out of the gate. He He had made a wonderful reputation for himself as a director of straight plays and operas. Like, he was this opera wunderkind. That's what he was, and that's what he was known to be. And when he directed... Miss Saigani was in his 30s maybe in the, maybe around the same age that Michael is now. Yeah. Um so right around then Nick must have been maybe 36 37 just young with this baby face just you know not a wrinkle on his face and still figuring his way around. Um and and so it's like because Michael and I were friends coming into this it it didn't feel like he had to try to spare my feelings at any, Uh you know, at any juncture of, of, of this process. I would always keep asking him, what do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? What do you want me to do? Um, and I would just keep pushing for that. And if, and sometimes I would do it by text. Sometimes I would do it face to face and he would be like, I have homework for you. This is what I want you to keep pushing for. And this, and, and so I was like, okay, so he would offer, Challenges like constantly offer a challenge for me to push this character forward. So it was like, so I, every day I would always keep asking, "What else can I do?" Uh huh. So the one thing that I think I've discovered that I think a lot of actors um, also figure out for themselves is that you have to enter that rehearsal room with all the humility in the world. And you have to you have to leave all of your arrogance, all of your ego your big your entire reputation, every single Tony award you might have won or was nominated for you have to leave it at the threshold of that rehearsal room so that when you walk in, you are totally open and totally free, and whatever happens in that room, just let it happen, yeah. Well, and it's so, exciting. I was going to say, to talk
0: about that, so Mike and I were talking before we started. We both loved, love, love, love this production.
1: Oh, thank you. And when did you see it?
0: I saw it. We saw it together about two weeks ago, and then you had seen it had a couple seen, weeks before that. Yeah, I saw it when it first opened, so I got to see the original two, and then we saw it a few weeks ago with
1: the new two coming in, which was just fun to
0: see. Right. The, the... And so Mike had written this Facebook post about how he felt... I'm, I'm going to give you the mic so you can say exactly what you said on your Facebook. Okay. I don't
1: know if I'm going to
0: say it right, but it was something to the effect of um, certainly when... The Circle in the Square Theater was built, it was partly for this show with this cast to do this production one day. Right. What do you think about that? I mean, the thing about Circle in the Square is that it is... I,
1: it, it's a very unique space. It's
0: a very unique space. And to explain to people who, who haven't seen this production of, of, of Once on this Island, it's, you know, an island, and it's the, the stage is filled with sand, and yeah. there's stuff on... There's water, and there's... it looks
1: bu- like it, it, it. looks like It looks like... A storm had just come through. Yeah. It looked yeah. like a hurricane had literally just come through circle in the square and then left right. before the audience got to sit down because it's there's trash everywhere. Right. There's so much debris, uh, palm fronds, there's plastic, there's uh, just all kinds of garbage on the stage, which we then have to, well, well certain members of the company then have to clear and clean out before... The show actually starts right we have a goat <laughs> a live we have, goat we have a live goat and we have we actually have two one is always on standby backstage and then there's chickens we, right, have, we right. have four chickens, and not a lot of people know this. they are all named after the dream girls no way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, who that's not, them? Yeah, that's not integral to the plot. So, I mean, we're I'm okay with sharing that. And, you know, so I, I always ask Kenita Miller, who is in charge of the chickens, bringing them out, taking them off. I'm like, okay, which one do we have now? She's like, this is Lorraine. And we say, and of course, the minute we appear on sand, we're in dialect. And yeah. we're in character, quote, unquote, where we're the characters of the human beings that then end up starting this story so we each of us has a different name each which is not the names of the characters of uh-huh. once on this island um but we are then human beings that take these characters on and you know and so that's that's what happens with right. the exception of Haley kilgore who's pretty much Tim moon from start to finish yeah all of us go in and out of 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 characters which is which is great so we go into so we become greek chorus but then we switch right back into whatever character we need to play. So it's like these these human beings are like Greek chorus that jump in and out of something else, and that's our convention. So to explain this production of Once on this Island to someone who has never seen it before, (laughs) it's, okay, number one, it's immersive. You feel like you're not a member of the audience. You feel like you are part of a very large campfire being told a story, but that you are as much a participant in it as everybody else that's telling the story. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you happen to sit on the sand um, in this, uh, basically at the same level that we are, or if you are. Close to, if you happen to be close to any one of the four gods, uh-huh. we all kind of have a, a, our areas. Agwe is obviously the water. Asaka is close to where the, Alex Newell cooks every night. Yeah, and you know, I mean, there's this big truck that people come out of, and then there's a, a big shrine in the back, and I have the top of this power pole. So I, I'm if I happen to be sitting there in my costume with this huge headdress made out of ethernet cables. I am obstructing view. Oh, where? Right. I am I'm, I'm like you paid good money for these seats and for quite a lot of the show, I am blocking your way. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> so, but but there are people that have not minded and they've said we we were behind you the whole time and we were just so happy that it's like you were singing to us the whole time and I try to I try to favor as much of the audience as i can whenever i open my mouth wherever i happen Mm -hmm. to be um but yeah the best way to describe it is like you are in circle in the square and you are part of this huge campfire being told a story rather than watching a show and the next thing you know it's like it's over right and curtain call is happening and you're like oh my god i it the, the Broad this Broadway show just happened. And, right. I think one of the most effective things
0: I've experienced in that space, but really in yeah. any show, is um in the beginning with the wind. So as a as a member of the audience, you feel like the like the storm is coming and you actually feel the wind and it yeah. makes you feel like you're acting and it's something that a traditional theater can't do.
1: Yeah, that there there was one reviewer, I think it was Jesse Green of the New York Times, who said that his notebook he said that he had given up on taking notes <laughs> because his notebook had been blown by the wind. <laughs> So, but but he but I think he so he stopped taking notes, and I guess he must have just been watching the show and based his review on, you know, not not so much. To, I'm sure yeah. that he probably took notes throughout and was able to regain his yeah. notebook and all that. Um, I've, I've actually met Jesse Green; he's very lovely. Yeah, it was
0: a beautiful review.
1: It was a beautiful review, and I'm like, I, I normally don't know the people who. Like like personally, who make who write the reviews for uh-huh. shows, and sometimes it's better for me that I yeah. don't. <laughs> but because I had met Jesse at like an interview for something a couple of years ago, and then to to read, and I, I love reading his reviews, mm-hmm. bad or good, yeah. And because they are so well written, and they come from such a an educated, yeah. you know, not snarky, not vindictive, not not it's not a bitchy yeah point of view. It's like it, here is. this is just an opinion and even if i will happen to maybe disagree with something that he's written i still can respect it yeah because it's 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 coming from an unsnarky place yeah you know and it's like i liked obviously i love the review for the show and it was extremely complimentary and he got everything and he 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 commented on on the magic that is our set design on on the story that we were trying to tell and on Michael's direction. And I'm I'm, I'm just like, I'm just so over the moon right now. I can't even... I can't even... I can't even process this. Yeah.
0: I was wondering about the collaborative nature of, of like, the rehearsal room. Uh So there's so much that happens... There's so much that happens, you know, there's so many, like, interesting relationships that everybody seems to have in character. There's also just, like, it's just an interesting staging of the production. How did you guys find your way? You know, how did you... Was it a traditional process of, like, table read, you know, up on your feet and then being directed? Or were you allowed to play and really, like, find your way in the
1: space? Okay. By the time I had joined the company... There was already a lab, and everybody had worked together for maybe two, two and a half weeks prior to the day I stepped into the room. I was learning material separately from everybody because I still had concert dates uh-huh. and touring to, to finish up. So I was in Hawaii. I had gone to – excuse me. I had gone to Dubai and back to Manila, so I was going back and forth a lot. I was doing a lot of traveling, but um, stage management and the music department – of Once on This Island, had sent me a script and a score. The score, as it was being updated, as the lab was being rehearsed, I would get sent updates as well. So if there was a change, and if I had learned something, and if there was a change, then I would be learning it with everybody else. Yeah. Uh So I felt like I was holding hands with everybody from, from half a world away. Um, I was in the middle East and everybody was in New York and this, all this whole thing was happening. So I was learning and I was, you know, I was, I was learning rain and then Justin Scribner, our PSM or production stage manager said, (laughs) we're learning it at the same time as you. It is actually really heartening to know that you are learning this and you're, it's like, like you're, it's, it's driving you crazy at the same time. Everybody else is being driven crazy too, by the same piece. Um, so – but by the time I had walked in, everybody had no you – know, everybody had already been learning the show as a unit together. So I was just walking in and I had to stick myself into this unit that had already established itself. Yeah. Um, but because I had been studying and because I had been learning it, I was pretty much at the same place everybody was. So my day one was everybody's day 15 but I'm like – I, yeah, I, I can. I'll, yep. I'll be. I'll be fine. I'll <laughs> and be by the
0: okay. way, i I can figure this out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. It's like, thank goodness, I can read music. Thank goodness, I. Uh, thank goodness, Haley Bennett, who was one of who was part of the music department, sent me so much material. I had MP3s. I had sheet music. I had everything that I absolutely needed. And and thank goodness, um, I had seen a production in Manila, and the music was still in my head. I'm like. I'm 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 a gonna be fine. Yeah. I'm gonna be just fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was so we were we spent the first few days on music, just on music with Anne Marie Malazzo, who's our vocal orchestrator, and Michael Starabin, who was our oh, instrument orchestrator, so genius, and Chris Fennick, who was our music supervisor, and Alvin Huff Jr., our musical director. So we spent the first few days just getting all the music in, and then um, and then we would have our Table read. There would be dialect. There would be all of these things thrown at us. You know, like the, the four gods would be isolated. We would have time in the room just for the four of us to be together with Michael and David Perlo, his associate, and stage management um, at the table read. When we were, we would be reading script, and you'd have your score on one on one side, you'd have script on the other side, and then. I, I remember this because it was like it, it really hit me like a baseball bat to the side of the head. Once there was that scene after the sad tale of the bosom and mm-hmm. it's the scene where Timon is leaving her parents Ugh. Kenita Miller r- literally ripped a hole in my heart just from how she was singing and and I was just i was I was destroyed. I'm trying yeah. to sing this music while listening to her and watching her and I'm just like and and I was just ugly crying in front of everybody and I I just and I couldn't stop and then when I first heard the first chick 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 of mama will provide and I'm like oh thank goodness (laughs) and everybody started laughing I was like sweet relief that this is here Oh, I wanted to ask you, uh, sort of on
0: that front, and, and I feel okay to ask you, because I was reading about this in another interview, just about your family, and how you have you sort of had to make the decision, because you don't live in New York.
1: No, I live in Manila.
0: Yeah, and you have a nine-year-old daughter. Oh, she's 11. She's 11? 11, oh, sorry, 11-year-old daughter, and a husband, and you had to make the decision that this would be a thing that would be worth it for you to come and do, and sort of like be away from your family for a little while.
1: Yeah, it's a family decision. I mean, I can't make any decisions about pretty much anything by myself. I mean, obviously, I can make decisions when I'm alone in New York as to what I'm going to eat that day or (laughs) where. Um, You know, and the decisions I make on stage are pretty much whatever pops into my head at that moment. But a decision like this is big because it means being away from my family for a bigger part of the year. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's a reality that we – that we are apart for a lot of time because I tour, I, you know, and I take my daughter with me when I'm touring the US. Um and if she has school breaks, then I I take her along. Um and she gets an education yeah doing that, you know? And she has a she has a great time. She gets to see so much of this country. She gets to see other parts of the world, which it's which a lot of kids don't Absolutely, to have um but my husband also has his responsibilities and he has work and all of this kind of stuff but he comes whenever he's able to I was, so, so it's hard so yeah. he's like so the one question he asked um would this be eligible for the for Tony's and I said yes Oh, right yes it would he's like then go
0: yeah yeah it was funny I was thinking about him too because I so I have a four-year-old and I know and so my husband and I you know our work doesn't take us apart very often but like
1: that's that's great yeah
0: but I was thinking about like if I have to go to a thing for a weekend or he has to go to a conference for a weekend like single parenting by like just by yourself is really difficult Mm -hmm. and I was like does her husband have help like how does he we have help We we
1: live in the Philippines we have help and it's and we're like thank God and and the help that we have—they are just exquisite. They are fantastic, wonderful people, um, and they—they be, they do become like family. And yeah. and you know, I mean, it's you know, our, our laundry lady, like her son lives with with her, and you know, my daughter gets to play with him. Yeah. And, and so, it's it's like they they become kind of extended family. But yes, they do work for you, and they are your employees, and they make your life. So much easier and we in turn try to make their lives yeah. easier as well. So it's it's a symbiotic relationship. But yeah, there's there's no way that he could do that all by himself. Yeah. So
0: yes. <laughs> I was so really th- thinking about him today. Yes,
1: we do we do have help and thank goodness we do. Yeah. Um it makes me worry less while I'm over here and then I can you know just free my mind and do my job and not worry so much. And and thanks to technology I can see my daughter almost every day on FaceTime so I can FaceTime with her when she's having breakfast before school and she texts me whenever she wants if she ever wants to have a conversation but she's approaching this age now where no I will get I will get single word answers for everything how are you doing honey good
0: (laughs) I know how was school today
1: good it's like oh man I'm already am I already there I know I don't want to be there yet I know but it's She's like, "Okay, what is your homework today?" And then even if I'm talking with her, she's like, "Oh, it's it's this and it's this and it's this." And then I go check it and it's she can write paragraphs mm-hmm. of stuff. And I mean this the, I mean this year she goes, you know, she goes to she goes to school and she's learning now about what is it? Greek, Egyptian, Persian oh civiliz- civilization and you know, and, and a lot of things are kind of tied into that. And she can write and Because she had to do homework over, over the Christmas holiday because she was doing a show in Manila, so she had to miss a lot of school. Oh, Matilda, right? Yeah, she did yeah. Matilda mm-hmm. over there. And so I'm like, if we are able to do this, like every Christmas break, we, you do homework and the schoolwork that you've missed and be able to be at the same level that you were with your friends before you did your show, then – you are allowed absolutely allowed to do a musical a year. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and she learns and my, this is this is the one thing my husband and I were in complete agreement upon. She um she learned so much. Yeah. about working with others, about teamwork, about being a good company member, about um what it's like to create art and to perform in front of an audience and to know that somebody else has your back and that you have somebody else's on that stage it's like you can't learn that in, right. in a classroom absolutely you can't it's it's so this is one of those things that i think it, it's that's why she had her she t- practically had a mental breakdown when I, I posted a photograph of her crying on instagram oh when the show closed when the show closed <laughs> and i i had her on my lap and she's like is it always like this oh i'm like yes i'm afraid so <laughs>
0: But it means you really enjoyed it.
1: Oh, she did. Yeah. She totally did. And I think it's something that she will want to keep doing. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I I, I can't be mad at this life and I can't be mad at doing musicals and and what it just brings Mm -hmm. and the joy it brings not only to people who are watching, but what it brings to the actors also and the lessons that you learn from being a part of something like that. Mm -hmm.
0: Can I ask you a little bit about some of the work that you've done in the Philippines? Mm Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about Fun Home because it's like my, <gasps> one of my favorite shows of all time. And I actually – I do another podcast where I got to make a documentary about how Fun Home got made. So I sort of like – I just love that show. It feels like so a So you have of an DNA. insider view. I do. I do. And I remember hearing that you were going to do it and being just like, how do I get to the Philippines to see and this? And it's
1: it's the role that people did not expect me to that play. You played Helen. I got to play Helen. The Judy Cune role. Exactly.
0: Exactly. It, right. So wh- why did you want to do it and just how was it for you?
1: Okay. Um – The director told me to go see it and it was playing at circle in the square um and everybody that works at once on this island who were like the staff of circle have only the best things to say about that show and i can totally understand why um so i went to see it and i loved it and the director who was going to direct it in manila said i'm thinking of you for helen not allison right helen i'm like okay and when we were in the process of doing the show, he took me aside during, when, during rehearsals. I mean, the show was already just devastating already. It's like, yeah. here's a dagger. Put it to my heart and let it just live there. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he didn't take – he didn't say too many things. He didn't have to because he already knew. He, he, he and I are really, really, really good friends. He's one of my best friends. Um, so the only thing he had to say was this. Imagine that you are your mother saying, singing that song to you, meaning mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. saying this is my mother. Her name is Ligaya, which is happiness or joy. Um, just imagine that you are your mother singing this to you. And I'm like, stop right there. And that and that's all he had to say. Wow. And so every night I placed myself in my mother's shoes and sang that song. And he, the other piece of direction that he gave us was, Please exercise restraint. The audience is the one that has to cry, not you. Right? I'm like, okay. So <laughs> you know, so it's, like it's not director. like he's 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 wonderful. Yeah. And it worked, and I guess because I I in for my entire for most of my entire life, I guess I was Allison. Yeah. So I understand that role, but to be able to play the mother right it's it's a whole other thing so it's like placing my brain into my mother's head my mother was very uncomfortable watching uh-huh um, the first time you know and she, it's like she couldn't watch it because it was there were too many parallels going on on stage as with her life yeah. Um, which basically I have just revealed a lot about my life. No, my father was not a closeted homosexual, but yes, he was, you know, but there were aspects of his life and personality that mirrored. Yeah. Bruce Bechtel's. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I was looking at the videos of like your beautiful cast of Fun Home and I was oh, thinking about how
1: they were all such exquisite people
0: and they seemed it and they and they had that Fun Home energy, you mm-hmm. know? And I was thinking about how the, the Manila production was the first international production and I was wondering just why why do you think Manila was the right place and for that first international production? And what what sort of conversation did it spark amongst the the, the people who came to see it?
1: Um Perhaps known to us, with some aspects unbeknownst to us, I think that there are a number of dysfunctional families in the Philippines that could stand to benefit from watching a show like this. I mean, by the time the first run had ended, we were selling out. Yeah. Um, like, we, people couldn't get tickets by the time our second weekend had begun. Um, just because it was like, there were there were people i think who were finding themselves in the show and who were experiencing release emotional release and catharsis just from watching us and i remember that there was a mother and son that came and after the show had ended the son had turned to his mother and said um what was the last line of the show don't you come back here uh I didn't raise you to give away your days. Like, so she's like, you don't have to give away. That just your happened, d- you guys. That just happened. <laughs> um, so she's like, he's like, mom, you don't have to give away your days anymore. And I'm, I was like, I'm gonna start yeah. crying from the minute we were told. I was like, I was just dumbfounded. Yeah. From hearing that. Yeah. I was like, wow. So apparently, there were a lot of, there were a lot of wives who were very much like Helen. Accompanied by their children, who knew what it was like to to be with a woman like this, and so I guess it turned out there were a lot of dysfunctional families that needed to see a show like this Mm -hmm. to find that they weren't alone. It was interesting. (laughs)
0: Layas Longa, this is such a great, great honor. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. And congratulations on everything with bumps on this island. Thank you. And um, just continued success on everything. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Theatre People is produced by Mike Jensen and me, Patrick Hines. Mike edited this episode. Special thanks to our Patreon associate producers, Robbie Rosell, Carol Spellman, Ty Williams, and Cynthia Wallach. Special thanks also to Steve Tipton, Eric Emsch, Keith Allen Herzog, Ellen Marsh, and the staff at Oswald's. We'll be back soon with cast members from the band's visit. Until then, mwah! Who
1: knew such tenderness The ones who felt so One's okay.